Yes, yes. Father, we thank you that you're alive. We worship you for that this morning, Jesus. Thank you that you're alive. Thank you that you've forgiven us of our sins. Thank you that you've set us free. Father, we worship you today in the mighty name of Jesus, God. We thank you for your grace and mercy in our lives. We thank you that you've delivered us, that you've forgiven us. You're so good to us, Father. And so we worship you this morning in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. amen. You can be seated if you would, please. Yes. So great to see you. Yeah, I don't know, call that cardio worship, man. Man. Got that little mashup on the fourth song. What? Where's she going? What's it going to do? Yeah, it's good, 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 good. I'd like to say welcome to all the people that are uh, watching online. I know that, um, I just, can I just talk to you online people for a while, just for a minute? Um, I just want to encourage you guys that don't, don't, uh, don't let online become your life, right? There, there will be come a time um, that you're going to need to come back to the church building. And so I just want to encourage you to uh, prepare your hearts and uh, come back soon, okay? We, uh, we missed you guys. Uh, let's see who's... I always like to say a little bit to the online people, you know what I mean? Got Lon and Anita and Karen and Imet, um, Jenny, uh, Chris Strickland, watching on YouTube. I can't, uh, excuse me, on Facebook. I can't see who's watching on YouTube. But I will say good morning. 25 people watching on Facebook. Oh, wait, someone just said hi. Natasha. Hey, good morning. How y'all doing? Nice to see you. And uh, I think we've got a few people watching on YouTube as well. Uh, And again, I just want to encourage you guys that are watching online, do what you need to do and do you. But at the end of the, eventually you're going to have to stop and come back to the church building uh, because we miss you and we want to see you and we love you. So today's the day we start a new book of the Bible. Are you guys ready for it? Some of of you that were uh, here at the nine o'clock already know. Don't ruin the surprise. Here is the surprise for all of you that are watching all over the world, men and women, children and friends, pets and reptiles, bum, bum, bum. The next book of the Bible is a really good book. It's, uh, it's got the best name of all books in the Bible. The name, which is not above all names. There's a name that is above all names. There's a name that's just a shave below that. And the name is Matthew. Yes. So uh, we're going to be going through the book of Matthew. It's, uh, man, it's got 28 chapters and we're going to be in there for many, many years. I think, I think it took us about, probably about four years and some change to get through first and second Samuel. Initially, I was just going to do first Samuel. And then I realized that first and second Samuel were originally written as one book. So we finished it up. Um, so it's good. Uh, the, 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 
I was praying and I was asking the Lord, like, where, where are we going and what are we doing and what's the next step? And so hopefully after we get done with this sermon, you will understand the connection between uh, the, the kingdom of David and Saul and how it relates to the kingdom of Jesus and how they work together and how God has set us up over the last uh, few years of being in First and Second Samuel uh, for what Jesus is going to be showing as he uh, comes on the scene here. Now, the, this book of the Bible, Matthew, is, is at the beginning of the New Testament because at the time, they believed it to be the first gospel that was written. And this gospel is, uh, and, and all of them, they call them the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then you've got John. But the synoptic gospels match each other pretty well. John's a, li- a little bit different. But every every book has a theme and every book has a, a direction. Every book has a connection. And so uh, Matthew is written to a primarily Jewish audience. And, and it's written to a Jewish audience as it pertains and connects to Jesus Christ. And, and so this book is the book that transitions from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And, and it's important, and you may not know the, the church history, but the, 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 the canon that we have of the New Testament wasn't put together until like the second century. And so uh, it was by design that they bridged the gap between Malachi and Jesus and how that transition goes together. Uh, it, this is important to understand. I'm giving you some of the history and stuff because I really want this to be a robust experience for you for the next few years as we walk through Matthew together. And understanding how it connects will help give it richness as you walk through it, okay? So... Um, <clears throat> In the book of Matthew, the early church used it uh, a lot. Why? Because it, it has everything that you need for the early church. It shows us Jesus' miraculous birth. It teaches us liturgy, which we will get into in a few months. Discipleship. It teaches us law, uh, the life, uh, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, how to spread the gospel. Now, church tradition holds that Matthew, the tax collector turned disciple, was the original author of the book of Matthew. He was an eyewitness of the uh, life of Jesus. And so we can really rest on the historicity and the authenticity of the book of Matthew as Matthew is writing it because it is uh, historically accurate. Now in this book, it is arranged in seven parts that outlines the life of Jesus. It's going to be a ride. Uh, we're going to have a great time together as we go through the book of Matthew. I'm excited. I hope you're excited. We're excited. It's going to be, it's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. Um, and as we walk through it, what Matthew is trying to teach these Jewish people is that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the King. And Jesus wants to teach you how to allow him to be your King and how to live in his kingdom. And, and, and people have said before that Jesus talked about money more than anything. That's not true. Jesus talked about kingdom more than anything. Jesus talked about rulership more than anything. And so as we're walking through these, uh, chapters for the next few years, you're really going to learn what it means to have Jesus as your king and how to live in his kingdom, his kingdom now and his kingdom to come. Now, as Matthew's writing this to a Jewish audience, he presents Jesus as Messiah and the promised descendant of King David. Uh, again, as I prayed and I said, Lord, where, where do we go from here? The, the, what the Lord showed me is that first and second Samuel is showing us just primarily the lives of King Saul and King David. And, and my son was like, let's go through first and second Kings next. I was like, no, um, 
it really sets us up for kingship of Jesus. And we're going to get into the scripture in just a minute here, but it's all connected. It goes, it goes together. And so, uh, first and second Samuel, again, really set us up to see Jesus as the promised descendant of King David and the promise of a time of peace and justice that's going to come through Jesus. As Matthew writes, he has a lot of connections with Old Testament. And so we're going to be reaching back into the Old Testament a lot. Uh, because the, the Old Testament is setting up Jesus. The Old Testament is prophecies about Jesus. And so when Matthew is connecting Judaism and Christianity and putting them together, he has to pull from those Old Testament scriptures and to be able to show them the truthfulness of, of Jesus' claims. Uh, I, I advocate not unhitching your faith from the Old Testament. I know that uh, some people have. I do not. I believe that Jesus is in Genesis and he's in Revelation and he's in everything in between. And so uh, hopefully as we've walked through Samuel together, you'll be able to be a person that can spend more time in the Old Testament in your, in your readings so that you can connect Old Testament, New Testament together and see that God knew what he was doing all along. So the main points of, of what Matthew is saying is that Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is king and Jesus is savior. It's very important to a Jewish audience to establish those throughout the, so throughout our going through the book of Matthew, those are going to be themes. Jesus, the son of God, Jesus, king, Jesus, savior. And so through every book has a a purpose. And this book opens up with the whole story, which is Jesus is Messiah. And it ends with go and make disciples, Matthew 28. So as you're reading through this, and as we're walking through this, you're like, what's the main theme of this whole entire book? Very simple. Jesus is Messiah. Go make disciples. Okay. Uh, if you remember back in John, John was that you would believe that he is the Christ and that through him, you would have life in his name. That was the point of John. The point of Matthew, Jesus is Messiah. Go make disciples. All right. So Let's, uh, let's get into the reading for this morning, uh, of Matthew. And this reading is very important because the lineage part of it connects directly to how a Jewish mind understands the world is that lineage understand, uh, 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 decides uh, your birthright. It under, it helps you understand your place in this world. Like even now, uh, you can't be Jewish unless it comes through the bloodline of your mother. If your father's Jewish, you're no longer Jewish. If it comes through the bloodline of your mother, then you're Jewish. So like Crystal's Jewish because it came through the bloodline of her mother and her grandmother. Um, and so that that's, so lineage is very important. So let's get into the lineage. The title of the message today, I never even saw the graphic. What did it look like? Is it still up there? Uh, I, I titled it The Bagats. And, uh, and you'll understand why. Hey, look, they even put a little family tree on there. Good job, Pastor. Good job, Pastor Brittany. It's real cute. All right. Matthew chapter one, verses one through 17. Let's go. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. See, this thing's a page turner. Like right away, it gets into it. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers, and Judah begot Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram, Ram begot Aminadab, Aminadab begot Nashon, Nashon begot Salmon, Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab, Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. You understand why I titled it The Begots? It's the best thing I could come up with. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon begot Rehoboam. Rehoboam begot Abijah. Abijah begot Asa. Asa begot Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat begot Joram and Joram begot Uzziah. 
Uzziah begot Jotham, Jotham begot Ahaz, Ahaz begot Hezekiah, Hezekiah begot Manasseh, Manasseh begot Amon, and Amon begot Josiah, Josiah begot Jeconiah, and his brothers about the time they were carried away from Babylon. Begot, begot, begot. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconah begot Sheliel, and Zerda begot, 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 begot. The names get really bad there. Verse 16, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, who was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations from David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. Establishing this lineage is very important to a Jewish audience, connecting Abraham and David, showing that Jesus is the rightful king. This is why Matthew starts with lineage. Mark doesn't, Luke doesn't, John doesn't. Matthew does because he's connecting to a Jewish audience. And so it's very important to connect them all the way through because the Jewish audience understands lineage and understands kingship much better than anybody else does. And so if he's going to be uh, uh, telling them this, they have to connect to the lineage. Now, as a, as a pastor and a preacher, you come to this scripture and you're like, so what do we do with this, man? Because there's, there's so many begots, right? And, and, and so what, what do we grab from this? Because if you're, if you're anything like me, if, if, if you've read this in your Bible readings, you're usually skipping over it, right? You're just like, all right, lineage, I got it. Let's get to the, let's get to the, uh, the, to the important part. Let's get to next, let's get to next week. Do you know what next week is? Christmas. That's what we're doing next. That's what we're doing next week. I'm done with 2020, man. We going Christmas. <laughs> talking about the birth of Jesus. I, let's do it. You know what I mean? Eating season usually starts Thanksgiving. I'm starting it now. Hallelujah. Touch somebody and say cookies. Uh, so what, what do we get out of this lineage though? What do we get? The, the, the first thing I want to talk about this morning is this, is that Jesus is okay with you waiting. God is okay with you waiting. The scripture says in Isaiah 40, 31, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Now, before I get in to, uh, to, the, to the text, I want to give you a little bit of background where we're at with Matthew. So uh, Matthew is the first book of the New Testament and Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. And so I want you to read with me Malachi chapter four. And this is the end of the Old Testament before we get into the beginning of the New Testament. And it says, uh, Malachi chapter four, for behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven and all the proud. Yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming up shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that I will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. And you shall go out and grow fat like stall fed calves. You shall trample the wicked for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts, remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and the judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of his fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So Malachi ends with the promise of a coming savior, right? What does Matthew start with? Matthew 1, 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. There's, there's a 400 year break between those two scriptures. 
Can you catch that? The end of Malachi to the beginning of Matthew is a 400 year break where God was not speaking through his prophets to his people. Scholars call this the intertestamental uh, uh, period, the intertestamental period. It's because it's between two testaments. Now in, in the Old Testament, God spoke through his prophets constantly. And so the, the people of Israel were used to it. Minor prophets, major, major prophets, because when these prophets spoke, they spoke of a coming king. They, they spoke of a, of a coming Messiah. And so the, uh, the idea in a Jewish mind is always centered around a deliverer. Uh, remember that during this time, the, 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 the temple had been destroyed and, and they were scattered and they didn't have have a king and, and all those things were happening. And so they, they were constantly looking for a savior to come and save them, to deliver them, to be their king. And they had to wait 400 years for that to happen. Now, 400 years changes a lot of things. They had been under Persian rule in exile, the Persians (laughs) disenfranchising my people. The Persians were We have a Persian in our church if you're watching. (laughs) Oppressing my people. But now, after being oppressed by the Persians, they're under Roman rule as they've returned. The the, the political, religious, cultural, and civil matters of, of ancient Israel under Roman rule was so different than where it was 400 years ago. Their society had completely changed. Everything about how they did business had changed. What they had believed before and what they had seen before was no longer uh, in practice. Now, God speaks through Malachi and then is silent through his prophets for 400 years. Watch this though, is that his silence was his plan. It was God's plan to be silent for 400 years. Why? Because he was about to make the largest, loudest statement that he had ever made, which was the announcement of his son, the announcement of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh coming as the savior of all mankind for right now. God was silent so that he could speak loudly. Now watch this friend, that God is a God of order. Generally speaking, God typically allows a desperate situation to carry on for a while before he brings deliverance. Haven't you seen that in your own life? God will allow a desperate situation to get more desperate so that God can bring his deliverance. This is a, this is a, a common practice throughout the scriptures. It's a clear pattern. We see it in the life of Noah, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, in Judges, in Esther. Man must become very frustrated before God intervenes. Those 400 years of waiting, if, if Malachi had spoken and four days later Jesus showed up on the scene, people would have looked past Jesus. They wouldn't have been uh, ready to receive him. But God in his infinite wisdom said, you know what? Let, let me let these people wait for 400 years. Let them just sit around and, and live under the rule of these people. Let them understand what pain and misery looks like. Because if, when I send my son as king, when I send my son as ruler, if they haven't been through anything, they're not going to receive him. God knew exactly what he was doing and he was completely fine with people waiting. It wasn't until man was at the end of himself that God would show up and save the day. There's a sermon in there somewhere. It wasn't until man was at the end of himself that God would show up and save the day. Some of y'all are, are not seeing God move because you're not at the end of yourself. God ain't going to show up until you completely rid yourself of self. 
Now, now during these 400 years, there was six different eras that the Jews had lived, the Jews had lived under the Persian era, the Greek era, the Egyptian era, the Syrian era, the Maccabean era, and the Roman era. Now I don't have time to cover all those different eras and you can read it this week. Go and do some history. Uh, church history is, when you go through the history, it just adds richness to the word. It, it helps you understand it better. It helps you appreciate it more. I, I, and again, so I don't have time to cover all those eras, but the most important one that I want you to understand is the Roman era. The, the Roman era is the era uh, immediately preceding the arrival of Jesus Christ. And, and again, it was not by accident. It was by design. God knew exactly what he was doing as he was waiting for all these other things to happen before he sent Jesus because he wanted Jesus to come while Israel was under Roman rule. It's what he designed. Now, the, the Romans were ruthless people. They killed and they conquered. But at the same time, the, the uh, Romans brought law and order often brutally, but they still brought law and order. And, and it brought about a peace and a stable government to the benefit of the Romans. But, but also like even today, we have so many things that were brought uh, through Romanism. It was brought through Rome, uh, systems and government processes and specific ways of doing things and instituting taxes for the government, uh, slavery. It's, it's estimated that in the Roman empire, five out of every seven people were slaves. So you understand that and then you understand why when Jesus came and the way that he talked and what he talked about and, and how even when he talks about law, so many times we think about law in regards to uh, Old Testament law and sometimes Jesus is going to talk about law in an Old Testament sense, but sometimes he talks about it in a Roman sense and that goes on for Paul as well because Christianity started underneath Roman rule. Again, God made people wait and he knew exactly what he was doing. I mean, think about this. Rome made roads. The reason why Rome made roads is because they wanted to expand the Roman influence throughout the empire. They connected the empire so that Rome could go out and, and conquer more places. What did that set us up for? A perfect system to spread the gospel. The Romans were the ones that invented the roads. And so they, they expand their kingdom. They create all these roads. Jesus comes at the exact right time. And now the, the, the early Christians can go and spread out the gospel just by walking on these roads that were created by an oppressive government. Do you guys see the connection here? You mopping up what I'm spilling? It's a great setup for a Messiah. God knew exactly what he was doing. He was completely fine with people waiting. Now, now why is this background so important? Why? Because it shows that waiting seems pointless until the fulfillment. Waiting seems pointless until the fulfillment. Now, I, I don't, I don't know why, why it's this way, but I hate waiting. Does anybody else hate waiting? Yeah, dude. And we are such a like, let's go make this thing happen kind of society. We want things to happen right now, quicker than anything else. Staying at the drive through line is the greatest indication of this. I don't know why all these people came from or what they're doing, but get out of the way because I want what I want from the drive through windows. Anybody else like that? Who are the people that are ordering food at Dairy Queen? I want to know your names. You order food at Dairy Queen? We're behind you, angry, saying, get out of the way. We want our ice cream. Dairy Queen is not a food place. It's a blizzard place. People that order food at Dairy Queen need Jesus. Go get your food somewhere. They're not optimized for food. It should be the greatest indication to you that Dairy Queen is not a food place. They serve hot dogs. Who serves hot dogs? You know what I mean? 
come on, man, keep the line going. The rest of us need our ice cream, right? I hate waiting. Waiting always seems pointless until fulfillment. Secondly, it shows that God knows what he's doing. Three, it should give you context as to why Matthew says what he does and why people receive it. Because watch this. There's no, there's no word from the Lord through a prophet for 400 years. From Malachi to Matthew, 400 years. And the first person to speak is not Jesus. The first person to speak is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is a prophet of God. You know the story, locusts and honey and camel hair and all that stuff. And what's the first thing that John the Baptist says? Prepare ye the way for the Lord. Turn your hearts towards God. Messiah is coming. So this 400 year break was a a time where the people of Israel were ripe and they're going, where's our savior? Where's our God? We've been waiting. John the Baptist comes in. I'm getting ahead of the story. He speaks and then Jesus shows up on the scene. God, God may have been silent, but he wasn't inactive. God was preparing his people to receive his son. I was, I was talking to Nick this week and he was, t- we were talking about the timing of the, of the arrival of Jesus and, and why did he come at that, that time? Why? Cause that's what God wanted. Galatians chapter four, verse four and five. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. People say, well, how come Jesus didn't come during this time? Because he wanted, God wanted to do it during that time because he knew what it was going to do. It was the best time for Jesus to be on the scene. God knew what and when and how he was going to bring what he was going to bring about. Because here's the reality. How, how can you exp- How can you appreciate freedom unless you've been in bondage? You can't. 400 years of the nation of Israel waiting for their king. They're ready. They're just like, please deliver us. Please set us free. What does it mean to you? Have you been waiting on God for something? Good. God's completely fine with you waiting. He's made it completely clear through the scriptures. The nation of Israel can wait 400 years. You can wait 400 minutes for your ice cream through Dairy Queen. Completely fine. God made me somewhat, uh, God probably didn't make me impatient. Maybe that's just my sinful nature. I'm kind of impatient at times. Not much, just a little bit. I've grown. But I'm not talking about the, the little creature comforts of our life. I'm talking about the big things, man. Just because you're waiting doesn't mean that God isn't God and that he's not moving. It doesn't mean that at all. Re- remember, what do we say? Waiting shows, uh, waiting seems pointless until fulfillment. How many, how many times have you waited on something and then you look back and you're like, I am so glad that God did not give me that one. I'm so glad that God made me wait during the inside. You're like, Oh, why am I waiting? I want this to stop. I don't, I hate this. And then you look back and you're like, God knew what he was doing, making me wait. When you waited for that thing to happen in your life, you couldn't understand why it wasn't happening. And then God in his infinite wisdom held back his blessing or held back his deliverance. And then it comes at exactly the right time. And you say, thank you, Lord. I'm so glad that I listened uh, to you and allowed you to rule my life. Lamentations 325. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. The soul who seeks him. Here's what you're supposed to do while you're waiting. Seek God. You're supposed to cry out to heaven and say, Lord, what are you doing? God, tell me, give me the strength to endure during this waiting. God, give me the time to be able to uh, grow closer in my relationship with you. Second Peter three, nine says that he is long suffering towards us. He is so patient with you. Why can't you be patient with God? How patient has he been with you? 
all of the bad decisions that you've made, all the things that you've done, the, the, the times that you've gone back to him again and again and say, God, forgive me again. God, bless me again. And God's like, you know what? I love you and I'm patient with you. Right? Can you give God the same measure and say, do you want God? You've been so patient with me. I, I'm going to be patient with you. I'm not going to force your hands. I'm not going to get upset with you just because you're not doing things on my timeline. I'm not going to do that. Can we just wait a little bit? I mean, the nation of Israel had to wait 400 years. I guarantee you this. None of you are going to have to wait 400 years for anything. (laughs) Should be encouraging. Amen. (laughs) Because here's what happens when you don't wait. You take it in your own hands and you mess it up. Can anybody testify to that this morning? Anybody say I took it in my own hands and I messed it up? Oh, we don't have time to hear the stories of the times I took it in my own hands and I messed it up. Because I was impatient. I didn't wait on God. I said, I want things my way, on my plan. I want things to move quickly. See, Psalm 130 verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I do hope. See, you, you can't have hope if you're not reading his word. If you're not reading your Bible and you're hopeless, the reason why you're hopeless is because you're not reading his word. Because if you read his word, it would create hope inside of you because you would be able to see throughout time how God always does what he said he's going to do on his timeline. And so when you're, when you're hopeless, it's because, uh, what does it say? The Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. And, and the way to overcome that sick heart is to have hope in Jesus and for what he's going to do. But the only way you can get through the waiting is you have to spend time in his word. You have to. God will take care of you. Big picture, God is exacting his plan. Don't worry, just wait. Just wait. God is completely fine with you waiting. Get that inside of your spirit. Again, bridging the gap between Matthew and Malachi is a 400-year waiting period, proving that God is fine with us waiting. Secondly, God keeps his promises. There is a king. God keeps his promises. The socioeconomic spiritual time that the people of Israel were under probably led them to believe that God had forgotten about him. It's just human nature, man. 400 years, and, and, and we say it, 400 years. And it doesn't seem like that long of a time, right? But just think about, and I'm not making light of it or making fun of it. I'm using it as a real example. You know, we've been going through this Corona thing for six months, six months. seems like a pretty long time, all this stuff that's been going on because we've never gone through something like this before. Can you imagine if we went through what we've went through for the last six months for 60 years? That, that those of you that are young in this room and you're in your 80s talking to kids being like, you know, we, for 60 years, we had to social distance and wear masks and all these other things. You, you would, you, it would be something, right? But think about generation after generation. If you had to do it for 400 years and then, and then like generation after generation, you're like, you know what? My great grandkids, grandkids have been doing this for the last 250 years. And then you still have to wait another 150 years for that to go through. That's waiting, right? I mean, like, and, and, and so this idea of waiting and then God comes through with his promises, it just gives you this idea of knowing that God keeps his promises. Amen. As much as God is fine with people waiting, he's also going to keep his promises because he always has and he always will. And I don't know why the people of God, including us, seem to go through things and forget that God is still God and he keeps his promises. I don't know why, but it happens to us all the time is that we go through simple things and we think that God isn't God and we forget. And then we're like, Oh God, you've forgotten me and you've forsaken me. When really the problem is you've just forgotten that God keeps his promises. 
That's what you forgot. I mean, speaking of the nation of Israel in Joshua 21, 45, Joshua said, not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. Oh, excuse me, Joshua didn't say that. It was just written in the book of Joshua. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. Do you see that? All came to pass. And that was thousands of years ago for the nation of Israel through Joshua. And it's a promise of scripture. It's a promise for us to know that if God did what he said he was going to do for the nation of Israel in the book of Joshua and all throughout the Old Testament, it should speak to you and I today that God's promises come to pass. Amen. The people of the Bible waited and went through war and famine, but they also saw God move and then wrote it down so that we could be encouraged. Again, what we go through right now, as, as difficult as it may be and how annoying it may be, biblically, comparatively speaking, it's nothing. Yeah. It really is. Like we, we've been going through this last six months and it's been annoying and, and some of the stuff has been frustrating and those types of things. But, but really, like we, we all were secluded to our houses with our squishy chairs and our televisions, baking cookies, trying to not gain weight. Like, seriously. And, and then we look through the things of the people in the Bible. I mean, can you imagine if we were living without any of the creature comforts and we had to tell our kids, like, you know what? My grandparents have been waiting for our king. Our, our grandparents have been waiting. But God keeps his promises. Right? God keeps his promises. We, we, we'd look at it in a different way. We'd use those scriptures to tell people like our people have seen God's promises come to pass and he's going to keep these promises to come to pass as well. Don't you worry. You just wait. God's going to show up. In Joshua's farewell address in Joshua twenty three fourteen, it says, behold, this day I'm going the way of all the earth. And you know, in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. It's what Joshua spoke to, this, to the nation of Israel. But I would speak that to your heart today as well. God has not failed you yet. He hasn't. Every word that God has spoken to you has come to pass and it will continue to come to pass. Those of you that are watching live online and you guys that are in the room here this morning, you've got to get that down in your spirit. God has not failed me. God has not forgotten me. His promises are going to come to pass in my life. I know it because he has proven himself faithful, not just in his word, but in my life. I know that God's promises will come to pass. Have you been discouraged and think that it's over? God is not done. He's not over. The promises that he spoke to your life will come to pass. Gee, people say amen. Do you know why you say amen? Second Corinthians one twenty. For all the promises of God in him are yes. And in him, amen. To the glory of God through us. That's why we say amen. It's when the word of God goes forth. We say yes, amen. And when you, someone preaches something like Ethan preached on Wednesday night, you got to listen to it. Man, that was a preach. That might've been one of your best. It really was. You killed it. It was so good. And sometimes it's things will go forth that are convicting. <laughs> Some of that was so convicting. And it's not an amen. It's a amen. <laughs> so true. And I need to get that down in my... There's different types of amens. There's a I got this amen. There's a, I want this amen. There's a, I need to do this amen. <sighs> Frankly, I, I think America is under judgment. I really do. I think America was under judgment um, probably about the last 10 years. Um, it, it's been going on for a long time, but we've really fallen under God's judgment over the last 10 years. 
I believe that with repentance and revival, it's possible for America and the world to turn around. But frankly, I think it's unlikely. Um, and, and, and some would say, well, that's discouraging, but it's, it's not discouraging. It's encouraging. It's encouraging because so much has already been set in motion, uh, to, to prepare this world for the return of Jesus. So much has already been set in motion and, and friends, we are ripe for Christ's return and, and hopefully we live to see it. But here, here's what I know to be true is that even if I do not live to see Christ's return, those people that do live to see Christ's return in, you know, 50 or 100 years from now that see Christ's return, they will speak of us as those that lived in that period of waiting. They will speak to our generation in the 90s and the, and the 2000s and say, those people carried the torch for the church for this time. And, and, and we've got to have that mindset. We, we've got to live on the past promises of God and pass those future promises on to the next generation. I, I, I want to see Christ return and I hope it happens today. But, but what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to give up on following God just because I, I, I don't see the, the coming of Jesus. I'm going to live believing in the past promises of God and the future promises of God because I know that God keeps his promises. Amen. Amen. Because if I see it or not, it's irrelevant. That's right. <laughs> I know God keeps his promises. Yes, so people say, well, I didn't live to see Christ return. Okay. Well, neither those 400 people, excuse me, those 400 years of people waiting lived to see the arrival of Christ. They lived in a period of waiting. And, and, and I believe that we are in a period of waiting. I pray that Christ returns in my lifetime. I'd love to, to get raptured and see it and do all that other stuff. It sounds fantastic. But even if it doesn't, I'm going to do everything that I can on this side of heaven to get as many people saved as possible to prepare people to receive Christ when he returns. Amen. Romans 4.21, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Get that down in your spirit. I'm fully convinced. I know that he can and do, uh, can do it and will do it. Not just the return of Christ, all of it, whatever it is that God has spoken in his word, it will come to pass. I know it because I've seen it and I believe it because I, uh, because I, I know the word. Amen. Romans 1, 2 says, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. This whole setup of Matthew chapter 1 is a connection to say the promises of God that were spoken by many prophets over many years, hundreds of these prophecies that came through about Jesus. This chapter is living proof that God keeps his promises. All these people that sat around for years and said, well, he's going to be born here and he's going to be like this. And this is what's going to happen. And everybody's watching going, oh my gosh, God keeps his promises. We never understood what the scripture meant. And now we understand what the scripture meant because now Jesus is here. All the prophecies of Jesus have come to pass. Why would anything else not? God keeps his promises when Jesus is here and Jesus is king and Jesus is Messiah. Think about this. Abraham was promised in Genesis chapter 12, uh, Genesis chapter 12, uh, verse three, that through his line, that all of the world would be blessed. Matthew one, one, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's the fulfillment right there. Abraham didn't save people from their sins. Jesus did. And the whole world is blessed through Jesus. Old, Old Testament prophecy, New Testament fulfillment. Promise, blessed through Jacob's lineage in Genesis 28. Fulfillment, Matthew chapter 1, verse 2. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begot Judah, on and on and on. Old Testament prophecy, New Testament fulfillment, promises fulfilled. 
promised that his ruling scepter, the, meaning the kingship, would come through Judah in Genesis 49.10, the fulfillment, Matthew 1.3. It says Judah begot Perez, right? The, the, the connection is Old Testament uh, uh, prophecy, the promise fulfilled in the New Testament. This is why this chapter is so vitally important to understanding the kingship of Jesus, because it's connected to all of these prophecies of the Old Testament. Now, I can't go through the hundreds of those prophecies this morning, but you get the point, don't you? God keeps his promises. What, what does it mean to you? Have, you? have you forgotten that God keeps his promises? Is there promises that he has spoken to you by his word or in your spirit that you forgot that you've given up on? See, God promises forgiveness to those who believe. Walk in that forgiveness. God has forgiven you and you've received it. So walk in that forgiveness. He promises protection. Believe in it and walk in it. He promises blessings. Believe in it and walk in it. He promises that he will sustain you through trials. Walk in it. As you're going through a trial, can you, can we for once just put up our hands and say, you know what, God, I'm in the middle of a trial, but I know you're going to sustain me because you're God and I'm not. And you've proven yourself faithful. You are the promise keeper. The good news is you're not going to wait more than 80 or 90 years for the fulfillment. (laughs) Every single one of us are going to see Messiah. We're going to see it, man. Because we'll, I mean, if the Lord tarries and he waits for another couple more generations to return, those of us that are, you know, you're never, none of us are going to live probably past 90 something. So you're good. You're like, man, I know I'm going to see Jesus. Walk in the promises of God. Believe in him and them. I love Psalm 77, 8. It says, has his mercy ceased forever? Has his promise failed forevermore? That, that rhetorical question can also be answered uh, immediately. No, no, his promises have not failed, not failed at all. The promises of God are yea and amen. He has not failed. God is still God and his promises still do come to pass. And, and you've got to believe this. If God promises something in scripture, it will come to pass. It will happen and that you can bang, uh, you can bank on it. And I understand that, that many of us have been let down by people and experienced bad things, but that does not change who God is. Don't, don't take your bad experiences and project them on God because he still is the promise keeper. You, you stay in your word and you'll stay in the promise. You'll, you'll have a sense of expectancy and hope as you await uh, the return of Christ. Amen. So that's the intro. Let's get into the sermon here. Um, I know I joke about that, but literally this part that I want to talk to you about and, and stay with me. We just got a few more minutes together. Don't hang up the uh, video. Stay with you. Okay. This part of the sermon is where I started in my study, but then the Lord showed me that, that we really we really had to understand the history and the connection between waiting and promises, because I, I think that's a really important part of the scripture. But here's another important part of this lineage. And, and, and you, again, you got to get this down into your spirit. God uses broken people. God uses people with a past. Oh, man. We, we, in this lineage of Jesus, and, and again, if you're anything like me, you just rush through these parts like it's the book of numbers, right? Come on, let's be honest. Like in numbers, you're just like, yeah, yeah, right? Come on, does anybody else do that? You guys need Jesus, man. You really do. Dude, I'm just going to say it. And God forgive me. And numbers can get boring. It just is. So, the word of God is not boring. I'm like, you ain't read numbers because, oh, it's like being in algebra, you know? It's just so much. 
But when you slow down, you really see some of the uh, parts of this lineage and why it's so important and how it's very clear that God uses broken people. We talk, we talk about Abraham as a hero of our faith, and he is. But what we forget is that Abraham got this lady Hagar preg- pregnant because he didn't trust God. He had Ishmael, which Ishmael continues to create problems in the Middle East to this day. He fathers Isaac through Sarah. Isaac has Jacob, and Jacob steals his brother's birthright to get in the lineage of Jesus. Now, if you don't know these stories, then you need to start reading your Bible so you understand it. But Jacob stole Esau's blessing. Remember the porridge and the hairy arm and all that stuff? He's in the lineage of Jesus. This thief who stole the birthright is in the lineage of Jesus. Jacob fathers Judah with a wife he doesn't really want, so he ends up having two wives. Again, I don't have time to explain all this. You should have known this by going to Sunday school. Read your Bibles. <laughs> Jacob fathers Judah with a wife he didn't want. He wanted Rachel. So then Judah fathers Perez through a crazy interaction with Tamar with deceit and weirdness. I'm not going to go into the details of that because you'll have to have a long conversation with your kids on the way home from church and explain what that means. <laughs> The story of the lineage of Jesus is not God uses perfect people. It's God uses people who make bad decisions to bring forth his eternal plan. Gosh, that should encourage you this morning. Deceitful, lustful, lying, broken sinners are the people that God used in the lineage of Jesus. It really, it really speaks to the truthfulness of God's word. If I was writing it, I'd cut all the bad people out. I'd, I'd have, I'd have all the story being in these perfect people did perfect things and brought for a perfect Jesus. But that's not what Matthew does. Matthew uses all these broken people, says broke, 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 perfect. It's what he does. Goes on with Boaz, Mary and Ruth, who was a Gentile Moabite that God had forbidden, then Obed and Jesse, and then David, and David's offspring, who was the lustful, murderous relationship that he had with Bathsheba, produces Solomon. It's, it's right there. And David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Do you guys remember this? You see how we're bridging the gap between Samuel and Matthew? And, but no, like Bathsheba is in the, Bathsheba is in the line of Jesus. God uses broken people. He uses people with a past. Boaz and Ruth, father Obed, Obed is the father of Jesse, is the father of David. Solomon ends up with a harem. And don't even, we don't even have time to go into Rahab the prostitute in the lineage of Jesus. God uses broken people. God uses broken people to accomplish his perfect will. You know what that means to you? It means that God can use any, any one of you. The lineage of Jesus isn't pure, but Jesus is pure. See, it's interesting about this lineage. The lineage shows all these broken people, but Jesus is not the seed of Adam. Jesus is the seed of the Holy Spirit. God's perfect seed. That's why Jesus can be a perfect sacrifice because he didn't inherit the sin of Adam because he wasn't the seed of man. He was the seed of the Holy Spirit. I'm getting ahead of myself. Remember, Christmas next week. But what the lineage shows us is that God uses broken, imperfect people. And if God can use any broken person to bring forth his son, can you believe that God can use you? Ephesians 2.10, for we as workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
God wants to use us to do his will and work as part of the deal. We're supposed to be doing work for him and it's not connected to who we are. It's connected to who he is. Romans eight twenty eight says, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. And this is what I see in this lineage. I see this idea that the bad decisions that people make, God can use to accomplish his perfect will. Now, I want to be vulnerable with you guys for a minute. We're, we're almost done here. If you're online, you'll be fine. Just give me a couple more minutes. We're almost done. I'm going to be vulnerable for a moment. And again, my vulnerability is never for any other reason because I want to use it as a sermon example. I have no desire nor necessity to share with you my heart. Uh, the reason why is because if you really knew my heart, you probably wouldn't like me. Uh, that's a sermon in and of itself. Uh, the, the truth is, is that I, I want to be vulnerable with you guys because I want, I want to use my life uh, however way that God deems necessary to bring glory to his name. Okay. <clears throat> I have a heart for people. I really do. And I love people. And, but people constantly misunderstand me. They always have. It's been that way since I was a child. And, and I'm not complaining. I'm just being honest. It's hard being Matt Gratunas. It's hard to live in this flesh. It's hard to be who I am. Because who I am is so intrinsically part of who I am that I can't help be who I am. When I'm, when I'm not myself, uh, it just doesn't go right. Um, I, I become depressed and, I, and, and, and it just doesn't go well. I am a gregarious, outspoken, touchy, lovey, loudmouth. That's just who I am. Okay, It's just who I am. And I desperately love people. I love people so desperately. And, and a lot of times people interpret the way that I am as something different than what it is because they don't know who I am. They don't understand what makes me the way that I am. One of the reasons why I am the way that I am and, and why I lead the way that I lead and I love the way that I love is because my parents got divorced when I was a very young child. My parents got divorced when I was like three years old. And, and when you are rejected by your father, it does something to you. It really does. When, when you are raised in a, in a divorced home, the idea you get in your head is that I, I'm so worthless that I couldn't even keep my parents together. That's just what you tell yourself. And, and, and so it gives you this sense of just like brokenness and emptiness. And so you do one of two things with that is that you either become a person that says, I'm going to love people the way that I want to be loved, or I'm going to hurt people the way that I was hurt. And, and, and that's, and that's why it hurts me so much when people leave this church, why it pains me because I am so utterly committed to the people of this church. I'm so committed to them. Why? Because my father was not committed to me. And I'm, I, I, for one, am not going to stand. I, I'm not going to be a person that anybody is ever going to say that guy quit on me in the way that my father quit on me. It's hardwired inside of me to not quit on people. It's hardwired. And again, people misinterpret it and think things about me. Why do I share that story with you? The way that I am is completely connected to the way that my father treated me. My father made bad decisions that created me into be a certain type of man that God can use for his glory. People said, what would your life be like if, if your mom and dad had stayed married? I said, probably not good. Because I, I, again, I, I would not have cried out to God to be my father if I had been given a, if I had been given an earthly father that met my needs. It makes me who I am today. 
And again, I'm not sharing this because I need anything from you for, for you to understand that God can use somebody's bad decisions to bring forth something good. And again, I'm not saying I'm good. I'm saying God's good. God can use my broken self. Let's live to the Lord. Let's do it for him. Let's leave our past behind with no excuses. I want to leave you with this idea because some of you are here today that are down on yourself because you think you are not worthy. And and the truth is you're not worthy. You're worthless. (laughs) But with Jesus, you are worthy. With Jesus, he can use a broken person. He can, he can use people with a past. He can use people that have sinned. He used people that have killed people and, and, and adulterous affairs and all these other things to accomplish his perfect will. Amen. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Amen. Amen. Would you close your eyes? Would you uh, bow your heads this morning as we close? If you're watching this morning, I want to encourage you. If you are not a Christian, I want you to become one today. And it's really quite easy. Either you're living for Jesus or you are not. Either you've given your heart to him or you haven't. Uh, Christ offers salvation to everyone. And all you have to do is just say, I want to be a Christian. I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to be set free. And if you've never made that decision before and you need to do that for the very first time, uh, if you're watching online, raise your hands to the heavens and say, Lord, forgive me my sins. I want to live for you. Then read your Bible and find a Bible-believing church. If you're here this morning, you've never made that decision before. and You need to do that for the very first time. I want you to raise your hand right now and say, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. Is there anybody that needs to do that for the very first time? Hand hold on. Okay. For the rest of us, whatever God spoke to you today, let it go down into your spirit. Maybe, maybe you've had trouble waiting. Say, Lord, I'm going to wait on you. Maybe you forgot his promises. Say, God, I'm going to believe in your promises. Perhaps you've been so down on yourself because of your past. And you can read this Matthew chapter one and say, you know what? Man, if God can use Bathsheba, he can use me. If God can use Jacob, he can use me. Father, we thank you for your word, God. We thank you for the freedom that it brings. Our hearts leap at your word this morning, God. Father, we thank you. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Don't get up. I got one last announcement before you get off. Make sure you download the app. The apps are having problems, not because of faith and victory, but because Apple is a multi-billion dollar dispute. Download it anyway, so you can get all the information that you need for the church. We love you. We like you. We'll see you soon. Have a great week. Hold on, wait. Hey, we want to thank you so much for being online with us today. I want to remind you, if you're not a follower on Facebook, please like our page on YouTube. Please subscribe. Follow us on Twitter. Tell all your friends. Continue to watch online. We thank you for watching. We love you so much. Have a great day.